Well, good morning, you city. It's so great to be here with you and to worship. And thank you for the music this morning as it certainly prepares our minds and our hearts uh, for the Word of God. I love New City. Some of my most favorite people in all the world uh, attend this church. Uh, little Addie over here and Stockton and Millie. Her parents aren't too bad either, but... They're the ones that gives me reason to want to drive all the way from North Carolina to Florida uh, to spend some time with them. And uh, they're the delight and joy of me, mommy, and papa's lives. And uh, God has blessed us so richly. Also in New City, um, I pastored a church for almost 12 years in North Carolina, Riverview Baptist Church, and they're a church partner with you. I don't know if you... Uh, are aware of that or not, but from your conception, I led that church to come alongside uh, the pastor here and uh, the staff and be a part of planning this church here. They continually, even though I'm no longer the pastor there, they continue to financially give to this church and also to pray for you. They're excited about what God has done already and is doing here, and we look forward to great things that God has in store uh, for this church. Well, a lot of times when you're a preacher and you're invited to preach in a church, you bring what the old timers call a sugar stick. And a sugar stick is just simply a sermon you've preached often and you know it real well and uh, uh, it's not real hard for you to preach. You refer back to it and it brings excitement and joy to the body of Christ. But my son-in-law assigned me my text this morning. <laughs> Because I think he must be preaching through 2 Corinthians, and so he gave me the text I'm preaching from this morning. And so if I don't do well, he can come back and preach it again if he would like to. Uh, matter of fact, my perspective of this text may not exactly be what he wants, but it is where the Lord has directed me. And so that's what I'm preaching, and so I hope that's all right with you. Um, and if it's not, you can talk to the Lord about that. Uh, the text this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to be reading from the New King James, and I'm not sure what text you're holding, uh, but I do believe the New King James will be on the screen just so you can follow along in the text that I'm reading. I thought that was very important so that you would <clears throat> know that I'm not making up this text by any means. Uh, so if, if you have a new a different translation, please Look at that. You can kind of maybe compare with how the translators of the New King James translated this text. Beginning at verse 7, we'll read through the rest of the text. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then, death is working in us, but life in you. 
And since we have this same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that He who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light afflictions, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, if I say nothing else, God has spoken. This is His Word. It is true. It is inerrant. It is infallible, and it is for our correction, for our instruction, as we seek to live out our lives here on earth. Would you pray with me as we ask God's direction this morning? Father, thank you for your word. God, it is clear we have heard from you today. And I pray now, Lord, as I seek to give a sense of understanding to this text, make an application to our own living, that we might be led by your Spirit that you will arrest our minds and our hearts and cause us to focus, Lord, upon this truth. Help us to lay aside the cares of life and those things that press in upon us that seeks to rob us of your truth so that we might hear what the Spirit of God has to say this morning to the church. God, help me as I stand before this body of believers that I might declare your truth powerfully and clearly so that our lives might be changed, so that we might be more conformed to the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, it is with thanksgiving I make this prayer. Amen. There are times in life when your faith is going to be stretched, I think, to its limits. Times such as testings and trials that you may experience, they come your way in order to prove what kind of faith you actually have. There are also times of of unresolved conflict, things that happen between you and another individual that you do everything that you can in your life to somehow bring a resolution to it, but the conflict remains. And it takes your faith to a point that you wonder, God, where are you in this? Why aren't you helping resolve this uh, situation in my life? There are also times of sickness, times when you walk through physical illness in your life. You may think that that illness is maybe going to lead you to death. And you cry out to the Lord and you pray to Him and you say, God, where are you in this? And it seems like God's just not answering the prayer for healing in your life. It could be a time of of what the writer of Hebrews calls a besetting sin, a sin that easily besets you, a sin that you're wrestling with, that that keeps you defeated, and yet you're trying to gain victory over that, and you're seeking God's face, 
and bringing to you victory, but you just continue to fall into that trap. You continue to, to uh, uh, mess up with that particular sin in your life. Or it could possibly be the disciplined hand of God's in your life over that sin. And you wonder, God, how much longer can I take this? And your faith becomes stretched to its limits, and you're wondering, Lord, am I going to be able to just hold on to this? Have you learned in your life, and are you learning in your journey that God wants you to trust Him? That God wants you to take your life and place your life into His hands and to give it completely over to Him and trust Him no matter what comes your way. Abraham, the Bible says, waited until he was actually a hundred years old for God to fulfill the promise to give to him a legitimate heir, a son that would inherit everything that God had promised, a son that the promises that God had made would find their fulfillment in him. It would come, that son would come through a wife that was already old in age. She was barren. But she was also past the age of conception. She could not conceive children physically. But God finally fulfilled that promise and gave to Abraham a son, in which Abraham named Isaac. Can't you think of the joy in Abraham's heart when God finally fulfilled that promise and gave to him that son? And he looked at that son, and that son brought him joy. And that son was the delight of his life and the delight of his heart. And then one day God says the impossible to him. God actually asked for that son back. God asked Abraham to take the son of promise, the fulfillment of everything that God had promised to him, and to take that son to Mount Moriah and there to offer him back to God, not to commit him to service, and not to dedicate him to God, but to place him upon an altar and to sacrifice him as a burnt sacrifice, as a blood offering to God himself. Talk about having your faith stretched. Talk about questioning the wisdom and the purpose and the knowledge of God, that's it, my friends. Now, I can't imagine planting a church in this season of life and all of the conflict and all of the things that have moved in upon the church in this present hour that we find ourselves living in. So many questions. Do we meet? Do we not meet? Do we wear masks? Do we not wear masks? Can we all agree? Can we all disagree? Can we all move together? I can't think of anything that can come against a church plant like what our culture is throwing at us in this day and time. You see, New City, in this life that we find ourselves living there are times when you can't really see what God is doing. There are times when you can't understand what God is up to. There are times when you don't fully 
reason in your mind, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why is this going on? And these are the times, church, that we just have to rest in the hands of God. Just got to trust Him. You got to trust His wisdom. And you got to trust His guidance. Because that's what God wants us to do. Now, church, we have before us a text this morning that primarily deals with ministry, particularly the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And the key element that leaps from the pages of this text is this idea of trust. Are we going to trust God? Are we going to depend upon Him? Are we going to place our lives into His hands? Are we going to place all of our concerns and give them over to Him? And are we going to trust Him? So the ministry is the background of the text, but trust is the lesson that the Apostle Paul is seeking to help us to understand. So why should we trust the Lord? Why should we place our lives into His hands and completely trust Him? Well, I want you to notice Paul's reply to that question. Why should we trust the Lord? Notice what Paul has to say about that. First of all, Paul says that you must trust the Lord because you are naturally weak. Let me say that again. Church, you must trust the Lord because you are naturally weak. As an individual, you are naturally weak. And yes, New City, as a new church plant, you are naturally weak. So you must trust the Lord. Look at verse 7 of this text. But we have this treasure, and notice this, in what kind of a vessel? An earthen vessel. We have this treasure in an earthen vessel. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we live in a fallen world. I don't think I have to stand up here and labor very hard to convince you of that. All you got to do is look at the world that you find yourself living in, and you will be soon convinced that there's something wrong about the world that we're living in. Well, the Bible says that we sinned against God, and therefore the world that we find ourselves living in is a fallen world. And before holy God, all of us in this room are declared by Him as a sinner. We're all sinners in need of divine redemption. Have you, ever, have you ever noticed that even though you may be saved, that your natural bent is not toward God, but your natural bent is away from God? That's because we're sinful and we're fallen and we stand in need of a divine redemption that only God can provide for us. We are all naturally weak. Now, the unusual thing about this verse the fact that is the fact that treasures are not normally placed in earthen vessels. In that culture, in the day and time of the Apostle Paul, you would not have placed your valuables your treasures in a clay pot. You would not have put that which was important to you, that which was valuable to you, in a vessel that was meant for daily use, a pot of little value, 
A pot that could be easily replaced or thrown away if that pot became damaged. No, you would take your treasure and you would place your treasure in a vessel of strength and beauty. A vessel that you actually did not mind displaying upon a shelf so that everyone could see it. A vessel that was not subject to cracking or breaking because you would not want your treasure itself to become damaged or even lost if the vessel that contained your treasure was broken. I don't know about your house, but in my home, and I'm probably a lot older than most of you in this room, there may be a few of you that's close to my age, but most of you are a lot younger. But in my house, my wife has two sets of dishes. One set I get to eat off of every single day of my life. I get to use it anytime I want to use it. You may investigate this set of dishes that is used on a daily basis, and you might begin to notice a crack here, a little chip there where it has been used and banged around, and you might even notice a few stains where, it, where wear and tear has affected it. It is placed in a cabinet, and those cabinets are closed. The only time you will see them or use them is by opening that cabinet and going and taking it. That cabinet closes up and shields and hides all of the blemishes and all of the cracks and all of the wear for use. But then she has another set of dishes that we received almost 38 years ago when she and I got married. This is her fine china. I can honestly say that in 38 years, I can count on both hands how many times I've eaten off of those dishes. It is a rare thing for those dishes to ever be pulled out and placed on the table, and I get to eat off of them. Somebody more important than me must show up at my house for those dishes to ever be used. But you can look at them. You can come to my house right now and you can look at them. You can stare at them because over in a little corner hutch with a glass door, they are sitting there behind that glass door and you can look at them and you can marvel at them and you can ah and ooh and say, oh, those are pretty dishes. I wish I had some of those. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. The Apostle Paul says to us, ladies and gentlemen, that God has placed His treasure in vulnerable vessels. God has placed His treasure in clay pots. God has placed His treasure in earthen vessels. Now, I believe the treasure is the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, the resurrection of our living Lord. And I believe the earthen vessels is you and me and those of us who have trusted by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. The earthen vessel 
the clay pot is all of you in this room, those of you who have believed. So the question that I have to ask and the question that we all must ask is why in the world did God put such a valuable treasure in clay pots? You wouldn't. None of us in this room would. But God put His treasure, church, in earthen vessels, in clay pots. And He did that, I think, to show that the treasure has actually nothing to do with the pot. The treasure shows to us the all-surpassing power of God Himself and not the pot in which the treasure is housed. In other words, God is not wanting to bring attention to the pot, but God is wanting to bring the, the attention to the treasure. I'm saved. I got saved when I was nine years old and always walked with the Lord through some years of my life. But when I was a teenager, I committed my life fully and completely to the Lord, ended up going to Bible college, seminary, ended up in the ministry following the Lord. But I am saved today, and I am privileged today to take part in what God is doing, not because of my abilities, not because I'm smart, not because I'm handsome, not because I have great skill and great ability, there is only one reason, ladies and gentlemen, that, that I have the privilege to be a part of what God is doing, and that is because of the treasure that's in the pot. It's because of God's glorious, wonderful grace that has come to my heart. Because, listen, church, I'm weak, and I'm vulnerable, and I am subject to failure, but my transformed life, what God is up to in me, is not by my might, it's not by my power, it's not by what I am doing, but it's by what He is doing in and through me. So if there's any praise that can ever come out of clay pots, it's got to go to the treasure that is housed by the pot. I can lay no claim to what God has done, and I can lay no claim to what God is doing. Because I am weak, but He is strong, and all the glory and all the praise has to go to Him and go to the grace that He has displayed through the treasure of the gospel. So why should you trust the Lord? Because that's all you can do. Because you're naturally weak. And what you need is what only God can do in and through you. Secondly, you must trust the Lord because He is infinitely strong. Not only should you trust the Lord because you're naturally weak, but you must trust the Lord because He is infinitely strong. Notice the second part of verse 7. That the excellence of the power notice this, may be of God and not of who? Of us. And it may not be of us. It's kind of like the old hymn writer said, and some of you probably won't know this hymn. 
The old hymn writer said, I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. It's just a closer walk with thee in case you're wondering what the name of that hymn was. The Bible declares our God, church, to be omnipotent. That means that he is all-powerful. And when you give reference to the omnipotence of God, that simply means that God can do anything where power is needed to accomplish it. God has the power to accomplish whatever needs to be accomplished. So you must trust the Lord because the Lord is infinitely powerful. God has placed His treasure in earthen vessels so that when something great is accomplished by that earthen vessel, the only explanation of it is the power of God. So as New City succeeds, as New City continues on, as New City becomes what God wants it to be and what you're hoping it will become, the only explanation will ever be to the power of God, to His glory, to His honor. Now, notice verses 8 through 12. And what I want you to notice is the contrast that the Apostle Paul makes between the weakness of the earthen vessel and the strength of the power of God. He says, notice this, we are pressed down on every side, but notice what he says, here's the power of God, yet not crushed. You see the evidence? We are perplexed, but here's the power of God, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. You may feel like you've been forsaken, but you're not, because he's promised never to leave you or forsake you. Struck down, but you're not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then, death is working in us, but life is working in you. Now, basically what Paul is doing in these verses is that he is describing his life as this earthen vessel, as this clay pot. But he's describing it in relation to the power of God. You've got to notice the contrast. Paul says there's trouble on, on every side. There are forces of evil. There's conflict. And there's physical weakness. And there is pressure that is being placed upon the clay pot, the, the earthen vessel, to destroy it and to tear it apart and to annihilate it. But we survive when that pressure is placed upon us for one, one reason and one reason alone. And that's the power of God. God is the powerful one that keeps the clay pot together. Paul says in the life of ministry as a follower of Jesus Christ, listen, there is betrayal. Have you sensed betrayal yet in the ministry of New City? There is extreme persecution. There is the seeking to destroy the vessel, to shut it down, to shut it up to destroy it, but it's still speaking. Listen, church, you're still here. You're still proclaiming the good news of salvation. You still have a purpose. You still have a vision. 
Life is still here. You're still worshiping. Even though much has come against you as a body of Christ, you're still the people of God. And the reason you're still here and you're still holding services and you're still preaching and you're still worshiping, singing, and having children's ministry is proof to the power of Almighty God. God has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you. He's not in heaven asleep. He hasn't vacated the premises. He's still operating. He's still moving and He's still working. You're here because of the all-sustaining, eternal, infinite power of God who is protecting you, who is sustaining you because He still has a purpose and He still has a plan for this church being planted in this community. I want you to notice in this text that Paul attributes the holding together of the vulnerable vessel to the sustaining power of God. In other words, God is the reason that we're not crushed. God is the reason we're not in despair. God is the reason that we're not forsaken. God is the reason we're not destroyed. God is the reason, church, that we're not dead. We're alive and we're living and we're vibrant and we're still functioning as the people of God because of the infinite power of God. Yeah, it's true. All this vessel gets knocked around, don't it? It gets tossed to and fro. And in the midst of that tossing and that turning, we see how vulnerable the vessel is. And sometimes we wonder You know, am I going to survive? Am I going to make this? Are we going to live through this time? And the answer that Paul gives, absolutely. Because all of us have much reason to crumble, and we all have much reason to break apart. We all have much reason to just throw up our hands and say, what's the use? I quit. I give up. I'm going home. But because we rest in the hands of the omnipotent one, we find the power, we find the strength to go on and see the purpose and the reason that God has for establishing New City Church. Yes, life can be tough. All of us could probably stand up and testify until the cows come home of the hardness of life and the difficulties that we've already faced in our journey. But the place to face the hardness of life and the toughness of life is not on your own, but it's in community. And it's in the omnipotent, infinite, powerful hands of God. Are you trusting Him today with all your life? With all your circumstances, all your situations that you're facing in life? Well, here's one final reason that Paul sets before us, and I'm finished. Why you must trust the Lord, and that is, church, because it brings glory to God. The reason why you should trust God and place your hands and your life completely into His control is because He is glorified when when you do. Notice verse 13. And since we have this same, since we have this same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I have believed and therefore I speak, we also believe and therefore we speak. 
knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up when with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, now notice this, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light afflictions, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. But notice this, church. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Listen, when God takes an earthen vessel, a weak vessel, a vulnerable vessel, for the Scripture says, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. They have all gone astray. They have all gone their own way. Romans chapter 3. When God takes an earthen vessel, a vulnerable vessel that really should be discarded, should actually just be thrown away, and God does great things through that vessel, The one who gets the glory is not the vessel. The one who gets the glory is the one who is doing the work through that vessel. Because you see, no one marvels at the vessel because there is no true beauty in an earthen vessel. There is nothing about an earthen vessel that you marvel at and you wonder about and say, oh, what a beautiful vessel you got there. What is marveled at and what they stand in awe of is because no one can explain all of the great and wonderful things that an earthen vessel, a clay pot, accomplishes other than the fact that God must be in that vessel. God must be doing something great in that vessel. The only, because if you look at that vessel, there's not much to look at. That vessel is chipped. That vessel is, is marred. That vessel is, is stained. But, oh, man, something great and wonderful and marvelous is going on through that vessel. And the only explanation is that God, God has showed up. God is doing some transformation. God is doing a marvelous work that only can be explained by Him. And God is being glorified. Did you know that God actually delights in using weak things? Just look at your neighbor if you don't believe what I'm saying. Do you know that God delights to use vulnerable things, weak things? And the reason for that is because the only explanation for the success of weak things is God. It's God. When you trust the Lord and you place your dependency upon Him, God is glorified and God is honored. Now Paul says in this text, I don't know if you caught this or not, that there is a day coming when the res resurrected Lord Jesus will raise everyone who has trusted in Him. Now I'm not sure what system of eschatology 
you may hold to. I don't even know if y'all have talked yet a whole lot about the doctrine of eschatology. But eschatology, ladies and gentlemen, is just simply the study of end times. It's the study of things yet to come. It talks about the Lord's return, how He will return. And there are various views and various thoughts about that. Various systems that theologians hold to about the coming of the Lord. But when the Lord Jesus arose from the dead, and prior to His ascension back into heaven, He assembled with His disciples on the Mount of Olives. And while He was giving to them final instructions, the Bible says that right before the disciples' eyes, that Jesus began to ascend back into heaven, into glory. And the disciples just stood there looking and watching and wondering. And I think that if two men in white apparel, which I believe were angels, had not showed up, they'd still be standing there. They'd have probably never went on about the business of the Lord. And those two men said this, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing into heaven? For this same Jesus will return in like manner as you see Him taken into heaven. Jesus, the Bible says, will come again. And while we in this room may not come to some sense of consensus upon how all of that will play out and how all of that will work out, I think that if you read the Scriptures, you cannot read the Scriptures without believing in your heart and knowing in your mind that Jesus Christ is going to come again. So I think that we could probably all agree on this one truth. Whether we agree on every dynamic of it, I think we can all agree that Jesus is coming again. He is coming, church. And He's coming for those who believe in Him, for those who have trusted Him as Savior and Lord. And on that day, when He has collected us to himself. The Bible here says that there's going to be a lot of thanksgiving and a lot of praise and a lot of great wonder because we're going to look around on that day and we're going to start noticing, oh, they're here. You mean they're here? What? I got news for you. Somebody's going to be saying, you mean he's here? Because the bottom line is this, the only reason any of us is going to be there, because of Him, because of Jesus Christ, who gave His life for our sins, paid our sin debt in full. And there's going to be a lot of glorying, and a lot of honoring, and a lot of thanksgiving, and a lot of praise that's going to be given on that day. You know why you need to trust Him? Because you're weak. You know why you need to trust Him? Because He's all-powerful. You know why you need to trust Him? Because if you do, on that day, you'll be in His presence and you'll be giving Him thanksgiving and praise and glory and honor forever and ever. I think Solomon, the once king of Israel, to whom the Bible declares as being the wisest man of his day, 
understood this trust concept very well when he wrote these words. He said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. Not only does trusting the Lord secure your eternity, but trusting the Lord in this day and time will make sense out of life and it will give purpose and direction for your life and it will help you understand all of the dynamics that are going on in New City Church as you walk through this season of life. So, church, God sent me here today just to say to you, simply, trust God. Let's pray. Father, it's been my privilege this morning to stand in this pulpit to declare your truth. And it is my hope and my heart and my life that, Lord, we have been an encouragement to this church, to this young pastor, his family. We're thankful, Lord, for the good news of salvation that you have placed in all of our care. It's an amazing thing to me, Lord, that you have given to vulnerable vessels the responsibility of your gospel. So help us to be faithful to proclaim it and tell others that there is hope in Christ. Lord, close this service today as you see fit to your glory and honor. And we give you praise and we give you thanksgiving for all that you do. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.